Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, we've been in a series called I Can See, and uh, the Lord has really been speaking to us about the importance of vision, and we've shared our corporate mission, and we've shared uh, the vision that we believe God has given us for every single person, but it goes a little bit deeper, and as we dive a little bit deeper into what we believe God has called us to here at Calvary, I have the good pleasure of, of introducing the 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 man of God who is going to help us go a little bit deeper into our call uh, as as husbands as dads as moms as 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 young people who are answering the call answering the call that God has upon each one of us every single one of us have a call and I, I, I mean, you, you know him, we know him, but I, I just want to publicly say that, that uh, this man is a gift to our body. He and his wife are, are pure, pure light. Everyone that comes uh, into relationship with him, they love them. They love them because they love well. They love God well. They love their family well. And listen, whenever uh, uh, this gentleman speaks you should listen with with hearts that are wide open drink fully of what god is going to say because he's going to speak to you through my good friend pastor carl vondahar do it again i never get nervous until he introduces me oh so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, God is the original E.F. Hutton, so when he speaks, I hope you're listening and writing it down. Um, I've really enjoyed this series, I Can See, because even though we as a staff talk about this a lot of times, hearing it again in the frame of reference that Pastor Ari's been bringing in, it's just helped me to see better about what we're all about. And so we've been looking at our, our mission, which is to extravagantly love Jesus and to selflessly love people. And that's, that's amazing. And I, I was chiding Pastor Artie when he brought this up last time. Every time this comes up, um, we talk about the, the staff retreat we took and, and uh, how we spent hours talking about it and and mulling it over, and then we come back, and we tell our wives what it is, and they're like, that's the two greatest commandments, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it is, but I just, I, and he just left it at that, so I just, I felt like I needed to let you know, there's a little bit more to the story, you know? Um, sometimes when you, when you read the Word of God, you, you just can't listen to it. You just, you just can't pass it by. The greatest two commandments are amazing, and we weren't wrestling over the, the truth of it. We were wrestling over how does it look in our life? How do we illustrate the two greatest commandments, the two passions of God? How do we illustrate that in our own lives as a staff, 
within a church culture? What does that look like? And so we wrestled with the Word of God to make it real in our own hearts. And so a lot of times when you read the Word of God, it has amazing face value. But if you dig a little deeper, if you wrestle a little bit more with it, then revelation comes in it and it becomes yours. And that's what we did for four days. We wrestled with God's Word and we owned it. We said, okay, this is what it looks like for a church body to, to um, accomplish the two greatest commandments, to extravagantly love Jesus. Like, we want to go all out and to selflessly love others. We want to give ourselves to, to love people. And so, and then we talked about vision. That's what we want to see happen, to see people saved and healed and empowered and launched. And those are amazing things. It's so good to have these two things in place because my wife and I, we love to run. Well, actually, she loves to run. I love my wife. So we go running. And when we first started running, we just ran. We just walked out of the house and started running. And it was the most laborious boring thing I've ever done. Not to mention torturous, because all I could think about was one footstep after the next footstep. It's like, oh, this is ever going to end. And all I could do was think about how I felt. And it was lame. Until I discovered an app. An app that I could throw onto my phone that would tell me how many miles I'm running, how fast I'm running, how many calories I'm burning. I even got a watch that tells me my heart rate at certain times. And now that I have something to measure, running is exciting. Because now I have a goal to shoot for. Last time my pace was such and such. This time I'm going to try to ramp it up a little bit. And when I do, yes, I did it. I don't run because I want to be healthy. I run because I want to be fast. I run because I want to be good at it. See, I could be the healthiest person on the planet and get hit by a bus. But if I'm a fast runner, that bus is going to have to work to get me. So I think I'm better off running. But the idea is when I have something to measure and I have goals attached to it, then the activity becomes more intriguing more adventurous. And that's what these things are. These are the goalposts. They're the parameters in which we're to run. And it's good that we have them, but it's not enough. It's not enough. See, the scope of your mission and vision do not determine success. It's your strategy that determines success. Let me prove it to you. Who in here, by raising your hand, wants to be a billionaire? Seriously? Come on. You're in church. You can't lie. Who wants to be a billionaire? First service pulled this on me too. Okay. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray for all y'all. You're lying. Who in here is a billionaire? You see the difference? There's a vast difference between wanting something and getting something. And the difference is strategy. Strategy is what gets you there. And so I want to talk about the strategy of how we're actually going to get from point A to point B when it comes to our mission and vision. Our strategy for Calvary is a little bit longer. There it is. And so I'm going to read it. You don't have to read it. It gets awkward if you read it out loud. 
with me. So I'm just going to read it. Read along with me. Our strategy is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped to carry the cross of Christ to their family, church, and community, and the world. So we're going to spend the next few weeks dissecting this, you know, piece by piece. But real quick, I want to define what create environments means. When we talk about creating environments, it can, we, we're talking about creating something that consists of three things. You have your physical, your spiritual, and your relational. So let me take Calvary Kids Building uh, for a second, just for an example. Over there, we have the physical. We have the building, we have the stage, we have the lights, we have the soundboard, we have the Xbox and the Legos and the playground. We have all those physical things that enables us to create an environment where fun can happen, where we can engage kids. Then we have the spiritual aspect. We create an environment by, by praying and asking God to show up, asking God to, to give revelation to these kids and for Him to prepare their hearts before they get here and, and that when they show up, they would sense the presence of God. And, and we pray in a spiritual environment. We ask God to show up. And anytime you invite God, He comes. He comes. And so we create that spiritual environment by prayer. And then we have the relational. There's people. There's people involved. There's small group leaders. There's greeters. When kids walk through the door, there's somebody to say, hey, I'm glad you're here. And there's somebody that, that knows their story and that knows what school they go to and know that they have a test that week and ask them, how how that test go? There's that relational element of the environment. And we create that environment by building a team and training that team and, and helping that team to accomplish what God's called them to accomplish. So that's, in a nutshell, how we create an environment. We have the physical things, we have the spiritual things, we have the relational things. Your home, you create that by physically having a house, a refrigerator, you know, couch, beds, and then you have the spiritual, you pray into it, and the relational, mom, dad, brother, sister, grandparents, extended family. So you guys tracking how we can create an environment? The second thing I want to talk about is where people are encouraged and equipped. What does that mean? It's my favorite part, actually, where people that's you. That's me. So we move from mission and vision. That's where we, we, we gauge it corporately. We want corporately for us to, to, to extravagantly love Jesus. And corporately, we measure salvation and healing and people are being empowered and being launched. But this bumps down a level. This is individual. We go from corporate ministry to individual ministry. This is where the rubber meets the road, where people are encouraged and equipped to do something, to carry the cross. Now, I'm going to talk about carrying the cross a little bit later, but basically, when you carry the cross, you pick up everything the cross stands for. You pick up what the cross gave us the moment Jesus died on the cross, and you pick up what happened after the cross, the resurrection, the miracles, the power, all that stuff. You take all of that and you carry it somewhere. So I want to talk to you guys about that this morning. The rubber meets the road. It's the hands-on activity where we come off the sidelines and get into the game. That's what we're talking about today. It's where we go from hearers of the word to doers of the word. James chapter 1 gives us a beautiful picture of this. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says 
is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. By being a doer of God's word, you say, I hear and I believe. Now I'm going to go do. And when you do that, God says to you, and I will confirm my word with signs following. He will perform his word when we set about doing it. And so doing the word is pretty important. And by the way, this scripture is talking to all of us right now. None of us are exempt because you're all hearing me, right? So do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word. So you guys ready? All right, there's, well, I'm going I'm to move over here because they're ready over here. I, I want to make sure you guys understand the opportunity that's about to take place because the word of God says when you hear it and then do it, you will be blessed in what you do. So there's an opportunity here. Is anybody ready? All right, because I promise you, after today, you will have something to do. So grab your pen, grab your paper, I want you to write it down, because I want you to be blessed in what you do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word, we thank you for the life that the word brings, we thank you for the fruit of your word, and we just pray revelation today, God, of your word. As we mull it over and we wrestle with it, God, we, we want to make your word real to us. We want to make it our own. We want to apply it to our life. So Father, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom. Help us to see what you see. Help us to understand what you want us to understand. May your voice be heard over every other voice in this room, including our own. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing this, I, I came across a, a list, um, top 10 qualities of a best friend. And I thought I'd read that to you. It says, respects my opinion. They're loyal to me. Forgiving when I mess up. Sensitive to my feelings. Listens to me. Supportive of my desires. Generous with time and energy. I love to be around them. They're happy when I'm around and they miss me when I'm not there. Now, this is a list of best friend qualities because I think all of us are looking for someone that gets us, someone that under, understands us and likes when we're around, and we genuinely like when they're around. You know, we're all looking for that companionship. But I think, I think this also closely defines God's desire for family. I believe family should illustrate that. Now, as I say that, I do understand that that is not a correct, a correct representation of some families in here, some of families you've grown up in. I, I didn't experience all of those. I experienced one or two of those. So I, I understand that, but God's original intention, that's what we're going after. What did God originally intend for the family to be? In Genesis, it says, that when Adam, after God made all, that, all the animals and the, and the water and the mountains and all the creation, said not a suitable helpmate was found. And it's not good for man to be alone. So God intended 
for there to be a relationship. He intended for there to be a helpmate. We can't do it alone. And so this represents what a family should look like. Your spouse. For a lot of us, our spouse starts out as our, as our best friend. When my wife, um, God spoke to her, she said, marry your best friend and have your first kiss on the altar. So a year later, I show up, she marries me, and the kiss was amazing. So a lot of our relationships and our marriages start off as best friends. We're all of these things. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that right now. Maybe things have changed a little bit, but the original intention was this, was this. When it comes to children, is this how you felt as a child to your, towards your family? Is that how your children feel towards you or you feel towards your children? Original intention I think about the idea of DNA. Now, without going to all the details of the birds and the bees, at conception, a little bit of DNA from mom, a little bit of DNA from dad, go together, boom, a little one is formed. So it is biologically impossible for you not to get each other. God designed your children to be just like you. So you understand them. And whether they understand it or not, they'll, they'll figure it out. Because one day they'll realize, I'm just like my mom and dad. <laughs> but I bring that up because this, where'd it go? Alex, can I get it back? Just hang out, hang out that for me. So many times this is the opposite of family for so many people. It's the last place they go for support. It's the last place people are loyal to them. It's the last place they miss you when you're gone. And that is a tragedy. Because the family's original intention was for this. For children and brothers and sisters to feel all these things. See, when a child is born, physically they have all the the medical things they need to survive. But as they develop, parents, families, there's still the emotional development, the mental development. They're still developing. And so when these things are in place, things are good. But when these are not in place, things get broken. Knowing that this list does not describe many families in our culture, that's why I want to talk about carrying the cross to our families first. The cross must be carried to our families first. Because so much is riding on what happens in the family. It's the basic building block for society. So when we take up, talk about carrying a cross, one verse comes to mind. Matthew 16, verse 24. And I read it and it says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now you notice the word in the beginning, then. Then is a signal word. It denotes a sequence of events. So I thought, huh, 
I wonder what sequence of events led to Jesus saying this. So, I flipped the page. And I would see Matthew 16, verse 21. Jesus says, from that, or the word says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I can't help but see the humor in this moment. I mean, can you imagine? What was Peter thinking? What was the look on Peter's face? Like, seriously? Did, did you just... Did you just call me Satan? Seriously? I don't know if you remember Jesus, but a few verses earlier, you were just calling me Peter the Rock. And upon me, you are going to build a church. Now I'm the devil? Really? Jesus goes on to say, not only that, but you're also a stumbling block to me. Ouch. Peter is probably like dumbfounded. How did I become a stumbling block? How did, how did I become Satan all of a sudden? And Jesus goes on to say, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you heard me say I was going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and I would die. And all you could think about was yourself. All you could think about was how that's not what, what you want. That's not comfortable. That's not easy. That's going to create conflict. All you could think about was the human concerns. But there's something bigger going on. There's something greater happening. There's concerns that God has. And if you would have heard me, you would have heard me say, I will suffer and die and then be raised back to life. See, my death on a cross is going to accomplish a lot more than what happens in your life. It's going to have a global impact, a global impact on every individual of the globe. It's so much bigger than you, Peter. You're missing it. And because you're missing it, you're a stumbling block to me and those around us. Guys, if that's the definition of a stumbling block, I'm in trouble. How many times have we thought about the here and now only? Thought about how something's going to affect my comfort or, or my schedule adversely. And all we're focused on is human concerns. How do we become a people that are not just focused on human concerns, but we're concerned about what God's concerned about? That we want what He wants. How do, you, how do we get there? Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wants to be My disciples, then he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow Me. He goes on to say, Anyone who will lose his, wants to save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose their life for me, they will find it. Jesus was challenging these men and us to begin seeing a bigger picture. See, God's ways are upside down at times. If you want to become great, become small. 
If someone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. Someone asks for your cloak, give them your tunic as well. What? It goes against our logic, our human thinking to do it that way. Jesus is unlocking a secret of the kingdom of God here. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. And I love in John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life, abundant life. And I've been searching for that life. And I must confess, sometimes it's hard to find. It's hard to find because there's issues in my life that block it. Issues like selfishness. Issues like anger or frustration. Sin. The only thing that can beat sin is a cross. So we are a people that are called to pick up a cross and carry it. But before you can carry a cross anywhere, you have to experience it. If you try to carry a cross without experiencing it, it's called religion. And there's no life in it. But if first you experience the cross... And what it does in your life, then when you carry it, life will birth all around you. So how do we experience this cross? What does it look like? I wish there was a simple illustration, three-point sermon that I could tell you this is what it looks like. It works this way every single time. But it's not. It's your cross. It's my cross. It's her cross. It's his cross. It's different. All of us have a different cross. And all of us have to engage and ask God, what is my cross? What is it for me? First thing you got to do to experience a cross is simply to embrace it. Embrace it for what it is. It's an instrument of self-denial. It's an instrument of torture an instrument of death. But it's not meant to be a burden. Ultimately, the cross is simply a vehicle, an instrument that God uses to get you where He wants you to be. He uses a cross to pull out things that don't belong and put things in that do belong. And unless we embrace the cross and all that comes with it, then we miss out. We miss out on what the cross gives us. I mean, Jesus worked really hard to give us the cross, didn't he? I think we owe him a little bit of, a little bit of effort, a little bit of energy. The cross will be a source of conviction, and at times your cross will be the most difficult thing in your life. But it's an instrument. It's a vehicle that we choose or not choose to use. It's totally up to us. But if you want to experience life, you've got to lose yours. And once you embrace your cross, you're like, I'm going for it. I want the life. I want everything you have for me, God. Whatever it takes, I want it. And you embrace your cross, now you get to endure it. Hang on. It's going to test you like no other. Enduring the cross will take you places you don't really want to go. Take you places that 
where you're broken. And he wants to mend you there. It's going to take you back to places that bring up fear, bring up frustration, bring up anger. But you've got to endure and learn what he's trying to tell you during that time. But why do we endure it? We endure it for the same reason Jesus endured it. Hebrews 12 gives us a great reason. Hebrews 12 reads, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of of God. See, Jesus saw the cross And he knew it was going to be painful. Matter of fact, he prayed that he wouldn't have to do it. But he also saw the joy on the other side of the cross. See, a lot of us are like Peter. We hear cross, we hear death. But we miss, after three days I'll be raised again. See, there's life on the other side of the cross. But the only way to get to it is to go through the cross to endure the cross. So Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured his cross. He was looking at you. He was looking at me. He was looking at your children. He was looking at the salvation of mankind. He was looking at the heart of God and how it was longing to be reunited with his people. See, Jesus saw joy and life on the other side of that cross. That's why we endure our cross. What what joy is set before you? What dreams do you have for your family, for your children, for the relationships in your home? What do you dream? Do you want those things that are on that list? Do you want your children to to miss you when you're gone? Do you want to be a support to your children? What's the joy that's set before you? Because you're going to need that to endure the cross. Enduring the cross is something that's going to take an immense amount of energy, an immense amount of work. And on certain levels, we're okay with that. When it comes to athletics, strength building, training, we all get no pain, no gain. The harder you work, the better you'll be. And we're inspired by magazines that show people running and sweating and working hard. And we're like, yeah, they deserve it. They worked hard for it. Good for you. Academics, it's okay in academics. We watch movies of these great people who, who they overcome adversity and they get to college and they're studying day and night and all night, pulling all nighters, studying through books and taking tests. And I mean, that's torture, right? I mean, all that reading and studying, that's torture. But we're like, good for you. You deserve everything because you worked hard. It's okay in athletics and academics. But when it comes to our spiritual walk, is it really no pain, no gain? Or is it no pain ever? Please. I'm comfortable. I'm fine. Go to church. The same is true. No pain, no gain. When we endure our cross, we... We take that pain and discomfort and we learn from it. 
What does it look like when, when you pick up your cross? What does it look like when you lose yourself? Like in our minds, there should be these flags that go, go off when we're frustrated or angry or, or, or mad about something. Those are flags. Hey, there's an issue here. Let's, let's revisit that. Let's, let's ask God, show me how to get over this. So what is the joy that's set in front of you? When you think about your family, what are your hopes and dreams for them and your relationship? What are the things that get in the way of that? What are the things that tear that down? Those are the things you need to die to. And after you've embraced your cross and you've endured your cross, then you get the privilege of enjoying the fruits of the cross. The cross won an immense amount of things. It won forgiveness of sin. It, 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 it won victory over darkness. It won freedom from bondage. It, it won presence of God. It, it won us the ability to communicate to God. It won us the ability to, to walk in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. It enabled us to love people. It enabled us to be loved. And until we choose to carry our cross and endure it, embrace it, It'll be difficult to enjoy all that the cross has won. So we want to carry our cross, experience it. And once we experience it, we take all of that stuff and we bring it in to the first place of our family. Because that's who needs it. Back in Genesis, God lets us know that when he created things, he created things a certain way. That they will reproduce after their own kind. Same is true for us. We reproduce after our own kind. And as I mentioned earlier, once after birth, the reproducing is not over. The physical person part is done, but there's still development happening. Broken begats broken. Healthy begats healthy. When we are broken and we allow sin in our life to keep us focused on the here and now, we become stumbling blocks. Not only the people around us, but to Jesus too. And so we have got to fix ourselves first. We've got to make sure that we pick up our cross and we learn as much as we can from the cross. Not that we're going to become perfect, but we're going to become better. And the better we become, the better we are for our family. Because our family needs us healthy. Healthy people beget healthy people. By carrying your cross, you choose to die to all the things that bring death to the relationship closest to you. And you choose to walk in the things that bring life to your family. I wanted to ask, what's your vision for your family? Right now I'm in the season of Little League, and um, it's pretty fun. I've never been there before. But I was talking to Adi about this idea of, you know, carrying the cross to the family and being so concerned about our children that we stay focused on their spiritual walk from conception to call. Like, let's, let's, what's that look like? And we started talking about, you know, how do we, how do we do this? How do we 
How do we steward our children from conception to call, the call of God on their life when they, when they begin walking in the call of God on their life? How do we do that? We started talking about Little League, and, and Little League, it's easy for us to have a vision because it's all a very natural sequence of events. Buy a glove, get a bat, get them to practice, go to a game. Watch them, and then go back to practice, work on it. And then, and then they go from little league age group, little league age group to another group, and they go to high school and maybe college, and, and we see that in an instant. That's the path, a path. And so we begin working towards that. I go to sporting goods, I get a glove. I go to get a bat, take them to practice. It all makes sense to me. And like, my son's a pitcher, and I've never pitched, so I'm watching YouTube all the time now. And um, trying to pitch and do the whole thing. And it's brand new to me, but, I'm, but they put him as a pitcher. Therefore, he needs to learn how to pitch. So I'm going to try to do it. It's, it's very easy for me to see what needs to be done. But when it comes to the calling of God on our kids' lives, or the calling of God on our family, what does it look like? What's the natural course of events that we need to prepare for? That's a little harder to find. That's a little harder to see. So that's where we need to engage God in prayer. Say, God, what do you want for my family? What, what do you want my kids to do? What, where, do, where do I want my family to be 25 years from now? What is my Thanksgiving table going to look like? Or what do I want it to look like 30 years from now? Christmas of 2050. Who do I want there? Who do I want to be happy that I'm there? That's a little bit more difficult to see, but we've got to figure out how to see it. We've got to have a vision for where we want to end up so we can follow it. And sometimes it's going to require denying yourself. Sometimes it's going to require getting over issues. When you carry the cross to your family, things are going to happen. You know, when you carry the cross to your wife, you... You carry with it all the forgiveness that you received. And then when they've done something to you, you, you share that forgiveness that you received instead of getting frustrated. You take the grace and the love of God that you've received at the cross and you carry it to your kids. Because when they mess up, because that's what they do, they're kids. When they mess up, you meet that mistake with the same love and grace, God met your mistake. We are no different than our kids. The other day, I, I, I learned a valuable lesson. My daughter has these devices. They all need batteries and charging. And she has this one device that's pretty important to her, and, and it requires a battery. And it goes dead from time to time. And I get on to her. Come on. It's got a meter on there. It tells you how much battery life is on there. It tells you when it's half full. It tells you when it's about to die. It beeps at you when it's time, when it's about to die. I shouldn't get a phone call halfway through my day at work and it's because your battery died. Come on, figure this out. And I get upset because it's, all, it's plain and clear to me. Well, the other day... My wife was out of town, and I, I, I blame that mainly. But um, <laughs> I was running the kids all over town. I had to, I had to pick up my, 
take my daughter to school, then take my son to school, and sit in the car line for 30 minutes. Then I had to pick my daughter up, and then go back to the car line for 30 minutes, and then pick him up, and then drive back home. And then we had a track meet out at the Canto High School, so I had to go out there, and all three of us were in the car, four of us were in the car, and we're about to pull into Lacanto High School, and then, boom. Oh, I know exactly what that is. And I said, all right, guys, what we're going to do, we're going to do a real quick, I'm going to drop you guys off, and I'm going to zip out of here because I am almost out of gas. And I dropped them off, and I got outside of Lacanto High School, and I ran out of gas. First time in 36 years that I've been driving that I've actually run out of gas on the road. And I just felt like the Lord said, you know you have a gas gauge. (laughs) Tells you when it's half full. Tells you when it's almost empty. My car even beeps at me. When I'm about running out of gas. So I had to tell Kessid all about that, and I will not give her a hard time next time. She needs a battery. Not that it excuses it, but I understand it a little bit more. I want to speak for a moment to dads in the room. Because you have a big cross. Sorry. Little trick I learned. This little meme of a cat. I hate cats. Okay. I want to talk to dads for a minute because you have a vital role in your kids' lives. They need you. They need you to be a spiritual leader in your home. They need words of affirmation from you. They need words of direction from you. They need time with you. They need you focused on their spiritual walk. Because if you don't, nobody else will. There's a story in Deuteronomy chapter 20 where they're talking about the ordinances of going to war, what it looks like to go to war. And it says, when you go to war, when you face the enemy, don't worry, God's with you. But if you've just built a house, you're excused. If you've just gotten married, you're excused. If you're scared or faint of heart, you're excused. Gentlemen, we have not been given that choice. If I were to tell you, or if someone was to crash through this back door and say, hey, we just got a report, some bad guys are coming, they're going to hurt our kids. I don't think very many of you men would be left in this room. We'd be, we'd be headed over there. But don't you know what the scripture says? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy lurks like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The targets are on our kids. And we are the leaders of the house, and we should be leading the charge 
to come against the enemy and to pray over our kids and to understand the, the role of, that we have as fathers and leaders of our house. If we don't fight, nobody else will. Through the cross, the enemy was disarmed. Through the cross, we have been given every weapon in God's arsenal. We have been given divine power to overcome every stronghold, to come overcome every work of the enemy. We've got to start using what the cross has given us to fight for our kids. And guys, sometimes that fight starts here. Because if you're not healthy, and when they screw up and make mistakes, you're not going to react in a loving way. The sin's going to come out. The frustration, the anger, the hurt is going to come out. So we've got to fight. We've got to pick up our cross. We've got to search out sin in our own lives. We've got to figure out what is coming against the life that God wants me to have. I've got to go after that thing. Whatever that is, you've got to root it out. The only thing that can come against sin is a cross. So I want to encourage you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be his disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow him. For whoever wants to save their life, you're going to lose it. If you're fighting for control, fighting for things to work out a certain way, you're going to lose. But if you open up this word and you lose your life to this, then you will find life. You will find life when you find a scripture that, 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 that is not true in your heart. And then you, you lay your life down for that verse to be true. You plant that word in your heart. It's picking up your cross. It's dying to self. And you experience life on the other side. Every single time. Every single time you lose your life for Him, you find life. Carrying the cross to your family has got to be a priority for each one of us. Because if we don't, then we miss out. Our kids miss out. Our spouses miss out. Our church is going to miss out because that's where everything begins, right there at home. You're only going to be as strong as you are at home. So that needs to be your stronghold. That needs to be where you are the closest to Christ is in your home, where His Word is honored in your home. And in your heart. Thank you very much for listening so nicely. I don't take carrying the cross lightly. I've picked it up a few times and it's heavy. But I've conquered some things. And it's been good. So I want to encourage you, whatever's in the way of life, Whatever's in the way of that healthy relationship you dream of for your family. Learn to hate it. Learn to fight. Learn how to die to that thing. So that you can find life. Let's pray.